If you guys have a Bible, go ahead and open up to the Old Testament book, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 6 today, first eight verses, Genesis chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardback black Bible in the pew or in the row in front of you somewhere, and that's going to be on page number four in that Bible, page number four. Genesis chapter 6, the words will be on the screen for you as well if you don't have a Bible or if you don't want to take the, the row Bible, seat Bible, whatever you want to call it, pew Bible, it's not a pew, it's a chair, whatever. Alright, so Genesis chapter 6, we're going to read the first eight verses together. I'll read it, you can follow along with me. This is what... The word of the Lord says, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man. And they bore children to them. These were the mighty men of, who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We pray as we come to continue to worship you through your word that you will open our hearts and our minds, God, that uh, regardless of how we came in here this morning, whatever it is that is on our mind, God, that you will just help us to focus on you, and I pray, Father, that as we exalt Jesus in this place, that we would see how beautiful he is and what he has done for us in light of who we are, and that we would see our need for him. Father, that's our prayer every single week here. Draw us to you, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So it was Valentine's Day this past week. Anybody forget about Valentine's Day by chance? Russ, did you forget? <laughs> uh, I bought Robin a book uh, for Valentine's. It's a book by Sally Lloyd-Jones called Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing. It's 101 Simple Yet Profound Thoughts on Faith. If you don't know who Sally Lloyd-Jones is, she's also the author of one of the best children's Bibles in the world. Uh, it's called uh, the, the Children's Storybook Bible. It's, it's called uh, Every Story Whispers His Name. And what caught my attention uh, is the title of one of her devotionals from this, this book that I bought Robin for Valentine's Day. And the devotional is called Three Small Words. And she asked the question in this devotion, what does God want you to treasure in the deepest part of you? And, and then, she, and then she, she asked, you know, is it, is, it, is it be good? 
Is that the words that, that God wants you to treasure in your heart? Is it uh, do better? Is it try harder? Are, are those the, the words that God wrote in the Bible for us to, to rescue us and to free us? And then she goes on to say that the, the words God wants us to remember are just three small words. And those words are, I love you. I love you. I want you to think about that for a second. I thought that was powerful. I thought that was good. God loves you simply because he loves you. He, he doesn't say, you know, I love you because you're kind. He doesn't say, I love you because you can be a benefit to me. God loves us just because. And the beautiful thing is, is that God doesn't just say that he loves us from his word, but God actually demonstrates his love to us, and he did that by sending his son Jesus to this earth, right? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. Jesus came in the flesh, and so he demonstrated his love for us. Do you, do you believe this, church, that God loves us? Do you believe that God loves you and that he is for you? I mean, we sang that God is for us. If he is for us, then who can be against us? And I believe that if we can truly grasp those three little words, that God loves us, if we can just grasp just a smidgen of God's love for us, the the depth, the height, the width of God's love for us, I truly believe that it would be life-changing. That it would be life-changing for us. Think about how often we listen to that little voice in our head that likes to beat ourselves up. Right? How often do you do that to yourself? Or how often do we live in a constant state of guilt and shame? We often feel like we have to earn God's love rather than living in light of the fact that God loves us. Right? We, often, we often feel like we have to earn or measure up to God's love. We saw this just a couple of weeks ago in this series when we studied Genesis chapter 3. That light just came on behind me. Did you guys see that? That was weird. That was weird. I, we, we saw this just a couple of weeks ago uh, as we studied Genesis 3, uh, the fall of man. If you weren't here, you can go back. By the way, if you miss any of these weeks, you can go back on our website and you can listen to any of these sermons. But we saw this. Adam and Eve, listen, God created them uh, in his image. They were the crown jewel of his creation. He put them in the garden. And Adam and Eve had everything that they wanted. Anything they could have ever wanted. They had all the food they could have wanted. Uh, They had this perfect garden, perfect relationship with each other. They were naked and unashamed. And they had this perfect relationship with God. And yet, Satan comes along, and what does he do? He whispers in Eve's ear that terrible lie that so many of us believe. Does God really love you? Does God really love you? He puts that doubt in her mind that, that God doesn't love you, that God does not care for you. And from that point forward, sin entered the world and has wrecked everything. I mean, from that point forward, humanity does not get better, but humanity actually gets worse and worse. We saw it last week with the story of Cain and Abel as Job preached. We see the first murder in human history. And then in this text that we just read this morning, Verse 5, you see it right there. The Lord saw, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
Now, I, I want to let you know that oftentimes when we read through the Bible, and we read from chapter to chapter to chapter, we, we kind of don't have this, this mindset that there's been some time that's passed through. And so we're probably looking at roughly around 1,600 years have passed since Adam and Eve. Um, and that's just a rough estimate there. And so because of man's wickedness, because of, of man's rebellion against God, because of our sin, God is going to judge the world through this flood that we're going to study more in depth next week. But, but I want you to see today that in the midst of God's judgment, we still see God's love and God's patience. I want you to see this today. Also, see God's grace. And so if you are a note taker today, the outline is going to go like this. The very first thing we're going to talk about is man's wickedness. Number two, we're going to look at God's suffering. And then number three, God's grace. Man's wickedness, God's suffering, God's grace. But before we dive into our text, I do need to address a theological issue from this text. And whether you know it or not, uh, whether you care or not, uh, there is a huge theological issue Debate that have been going on for many, many, many years. There have been many, many trees have been wasted, <laughs> okay, uh, over this debate. Uh, you could go and you could read all these different theories. Uh, and, and that debate is simply, it comes from verse 2, right? The question is, who are the sons of God and the daughters of men? And again, there have been tons of theories. And I'm just going to share two brief ones with you. I promise they're very brief. But I thought you might like to hear these. And I feel like it's my duty to share these with you. Uh, but one, one of the theories I, I think is actually pretty intriguing, and the, the, this, is, this is the one, right? The, the, the sons of God are actually fallen angels, which would make them demons, obviously. So I don't know if you've ever seen uh, probably one of the dumbest movies in the history of movies, The City of Angels with Nicolas Cage. Anybody seen that movie? It's been years ago. I don't mean, when that movie come out. It's like 90s or something like that. Whenever, whenever it was. It doesn't matter. Who cares? It was a dumb movie. A dumb movie, okay? Uh, but, but, but that's kind of what you have going on here, right? And, and so Satan, basically the idea is that Satan sent these fallen angels to earth to intermarry with human women. And their objective, which I, I think is pretty intriguing, is to pollute the genetic pool of mankind with satanic corruption. All right, now why does that matter? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you're so interested in this, okay? Uh, and I'm going to tell you, I want you to think back with me to Genesis chapter 3 for a second. When sin entered the world and God was dealing out judgment, in the midst of that judgment, he makes a ginormous promise, chapter 3, verse 15, and he says, I will put enmity between you, talking about Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, this is known in chapter 3, verse 15, as the first gospel announcement, right? From, from the woman's offspring, from the human race, one will arise who will crush Satan and defeat, defeat death and sin. And, of course, we know that that is referring to Jesus Christ himself. So the goal is to make the human race unfit for bringing forth the offspring of the woman. I mean, that, that, that sounds pretty legit, doesn't it? When you think like that, it's like, that, that actually could be what this is referring to. Those in favor of this theory use passages of scriptures like Job chapter 1, verse 6, and chapter 2, verse 1, where that phrase, sons of God, actually does refer to 
uh, angelic creatures. Uh, also, they use uh, uh, Jude, who was in the New Testament, verse 6 and 7, where it talks about the wicked angels who gave themselves over to sexual immorality. So it kind of uses a couple of passages as reference to point back to Genesis 6 and say, hey, th- this is what sons of God is. It's, it's the fallen angels. And it sounds great. It really does. But I tend to lean towards another theory, and that theory is that the sons of God refer to the offspring or lineage of Seth. Now, Joe mentioned this last week in his sermon. Seth was born to Adam and Eve. Uh, kind of, I hate to even use this, this, this terminology, but to kind of replace Abel, who was murdered by, by Cain. And the daughters of men refer to the offspring or lineage of Cain, known as the Cainites. And so at the end of chapter 4, we, we didn't read it, and we're not going to read it, but if you go back and read the end of chapter 4, you will see that the offspring of Cain, there's some pretty rough characters there. Right? It's a pretty bad, bad dudes. Uh, but then in chapter 5, you read about Seth's lineage, and you read uh, names like Enoch. Enoch was a guy that says he walked with God, and then he was no more. Like, he was just taken up to heaven. And how amazing is that? You know, and I don't know if it made me think back to, you guys ever watched that show? It used to be on years ago, Highway to Heaven with uh, Michael Landon. You guys watched that show? Do you remember that one episode where the preacher's up on, uh, uh, he's preaching a sermon, and then all of a sudden he starts to be lifted up to heaven? Like, I wonder if that's what it was like. Like, Enoch is just sitting there, and all of a sudden he just starts floating in the air, and people are like, where's he going? He's no more. He's with God now. You know, I don't know. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, but you also read about Methuselah, who's the oldest man in the Bible, 963 years old. Can you imagine living to be 963 years old? That's crazy. And then even Noah, who we're going to be talking about today, comes from this line of Seth. And then if you were to follow that line on out, you would see that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah, King David, and then eventually Jesus. Another reason why I believe that the sons of God refers to the lineage of Seth is because context. Whenever you read scripture, one of the things that we learn is context is king. Context is king. So whenever you read a passage of scripture, you always look at the context of that passage, right? You always take the verse and put it in context with the paragraph, you take the paragraph, put it in context with the chapter, take the chapter and put it in context with the book, right? So context is king, and in verse uh, 6, I believe it is, he says, oh no, verse 5, he says, the Lord saw the wickedness of man, right? So if it were fallen angels or demons, why, why would God wipe out man? Why, why not just wipe out all of the angels or the demons? And I also find it hard to believe that Moses, who is the author, is going to introduce angels for the first time in this sense in, in Scripture. So that, that, that's my take on it. it. It doesn't matter which one you believe. If you want to believe the first one, that's fine. Uh, you'll just probably be wrong. <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. You won't. Now, here's the point. The, the point is this, okay? Well, whatever you think, okay, the, the point is that the sons of God marrying the daughters of men was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for God. This is clearly outright rebellion against God. And so you see the wickedness of man. This is the first point. You see the wickedness of man right here in verses 2 and 5. Look, look at verse 5 first with me for a second. Strong language from God. The wickedness of man was great. Every, 
every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, I don't know if you've ever gotten into a disagreement with someone, your spouse or a friend or whatever, and if you've ever said, you always, you always forget Valentine's Day, or you never pick up your clothes off the floor. In marriage counseling, and I know this because I've been to a lot of marriage counseling, uh, in marriage counseling, you're taught to not use the words never or always. But God uses that language right here. Never. Always. To describe the wickedness of man. It wasn't just sometimes. It wasn't just part of the time. It was continually. No remorse. No, hey, my, my bad God, I messed up. No repentance, nothing. They were thinking, they were thinking about evil and acting upon it. It, show, it shows the depra- depravity of man right here. Just how lost we are. And I want to point out two words, heart and intention. Heart and intention. Heart in Scripture is the seat or center of human beings' personality, right? It's the center of our, our will and our emotions. In other words, everything that we think, whether we act upon it or not, comes from the heart. Jesus says in the New Testament, everything that comes out of your mouth comes from the heart, right? So, so whatever it is, even if it doesn't come out of your mouth, it's still in your heart, okay? The word intentions, this is a fabulous word here, means to mold or shape like a potter. So I want you to, to think about this for a second, right? We are molding and shaping the thoughts in our heart. Whether we act upon them or not, they're there, Right? So, so can you imagine, even if we don't say them or even if we don't act upon them, can you imagine if on this video screen right here, all the thoughts from your heart were just to scroll down that video? Would you not be mortified? I would be, I would be mortified. I point this out because I want you to see the inwardness of sin. Sin, sin is more than just the wrong things that we do. It's more than just lying. Cheating, stealing, right? It's more than just the external behaviors, but sin is a deep-seated inner sickness. Our, our heart is broken because of sin. I want you to understand this. One of my favorite sayings at home, and you can ask my kids, is we have dirty hearts. I say that to my kids often, not to demean them, not to crush their spirits, but just to show them the reality of the dirtiness of their heart. Just last night, just last night, we're having dinner, and Jude was not hungry, and so he chose not to eat, to eat with, you know, eat dinner. Shepherd, my middle cup, Jude's my oldest, Shepherd's my middle one. Shepherd ate, and so he asked for a treat. That's his favorite thing, treat. His password is treat one, right? I, I kid you not. And so Robin cuts up a half of an ice cream sandwich for him, and he eats that. Jude was in the living room while this was going on, and sitting there at the kitchen, and Shepard proceeds to walk into the living room, and that ice cream sandwich I just had was really good. <laughs> dirty heart. You know, you know exactly what he's doing, right? Dirty, dirty heart. Our heart, listen, our heart is not in line with God, hence the phrase, his heart, talking about man's heart, 
was only evil continually. You, you see this back in chapter 4. Uh, Joe, Joe, we looked at it last week with Cain and Abel. Uh, four, chapter 4, verse 6, you can just jot that down and look at it later. But God is talking to Cain, and this is what he says. He says, why are you so angry, Cain? And then, then God goes on and says, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you. In other words, what God is saying is, is Cain, you've already murdered Abel in your heart. The intentions of your heart, you have shaped and molded them in your heart. It is in your heart. You want to kill your brother. But then Cain, did, did he acted upon those things, and he murdered Abel. You see it here in our text that we read. Look at verse 2 with me. Notice the language. The sons of God saw. All right, they started shaping and molding these thoughts. The, 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 the daughters of men were attractive, right? In their mind, they're thinking, man, you know, this is a good thing. These, 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 these women, they're attractive. And so then they acted upon those thoughts and they took. In other words, whatever makes you happy, do it, even if it's not in line with God. Listen, the language here, I don't know if you've picked up on it or not, but the language is identical to Genesis chapter 3. Identical to chapter 3. Eve saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight. It was attractive to her, her eyes. And then she acted upon those thoughts and those desires and she took and she ate. Saw, good, took. We shape and mold these thoughts and intentions in our hearts and then we act or base our decisions on what we perceive is good. And the problem is, is that our perception of what is good is not the same as God. Because, again, our hearts are broken. Right? The, the heart wants what the heart wants. I think Woody, Woody Harrelson said that somewhere. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. Listen, even, even, I want you to understand this. Even our motivations, even our motivations for doing good things are most likely twisted. We, we can do things because we want recognition, because we like the praise of men, because we want validation, we want affirmation, because we're looking for our self-worth and our self-value from those things. And so even our motivations can be twisted. We can, we can even serve in the church because deep down in our hearts, you might not say this out loud, but deep down in our hearts, you might think, man, if I do this, then God is going to love me more. Do you believe that God loves you? As you are? Not as you should be? Because you'll never be as good as you should be. That's from Brendan Manning, one of my favorite authors. Right? We, we, we think this way. This, this, this is why it's so imperative that we don't just focus on outward behavior which is what we tend to do, especially as parents. We want our kids to behave, behave. Don't do that, behave, right? We focus on those things. We don't just, you know, we don't just address the symptoms like anger, lying, cheating, but we dig deeper and address the issues of the heart. I know I say that a lot. I know that's kind of a big idea. What, what does it mean to, to dig deeper into the heart issue? And I, I just want to say, man, this, is, this, is, this has probably been... Robin asked me this past week, what do you think has helped you grow the most in the gospel? And I said, this very thing right here. Over the last 10 years, I have grown more 
in the gospel of Jesus Christ than I did the previous 32 years of my life. One of my biggest struggles has always been the fear of man more than the fear of God. I look for affirmation. I look for acceptance. I look for self-worth and value from others. And I can tell you that early on in our marriage, it caused a lot of issues, a lot of troubles, because you know what I was doing? I was constantly saying yes to everybody and no to my wife. And, I, and listen, I, 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 I even made it sound spiritual. I said, you know what? I am being a servant. I am serving the Lord by doing these things. I'm helping people out. I am, you know, I'm doing these things. But in reality, it was very self-centered. And so when I began to dig deep into my heart, and what, what do I mean by that? What, what I mean by that is, is I, 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 I give a lot of credit, first of all, to, to Jesus, to God. Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm at, uh, in a sports interview after a game. Where I give a lot of credit to God, you know what I mean? Uh, but but here, here's what I'm saying. Like I, my counselor that I, that, I, that I went to and that I still continue to go to just really challenged me in this. And she asked me tough questions. Questions that, man, I would leave that place and I would just be absolutely just like, what in the world? So she, she challenged me and then, and then just digging into the Word of God. Prayer. Being in community. You want to know why we stress being in community here? Because in community, you're going to be discipled. You're going to grow. You're going to, if you can allow people to speak these truths, God's Word, into your life and, and point these things out. Hey, you know, I think you, you may look at this as being a selfless act, but I see it more as being self-centered. Pointing these things out in your life. See, what happened is, is I realized that I was not fully believing in the gospel. I don't even know that I really under, even understood the gospel, to be honest with you. But what I've learned is this, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ tells me the hard truth about who I am. And that is that I am more wicked than I ever, than I ever believed. But at the same time, are you ready for this? At the same time, the gospel tells me I am more loved and more accepted than I ever dared hope. When you begin to understand that, that, my brothers and sisters, is life-changing. That is life-changing. You see, without Jesus, my motivations will never be pure. Anything good in me is because of Jesus. He gets all the glory. And so the gospel changes us from inside out. One of the books that, that I read through this period of time was by a guy named Larry Crabb. Uh, it's called Inside Out. And he says this. He says, God wants to do more than just sweep the streets. He wants to get down into the sewer and address the filth beneath. And that's hard because you begin to see the ugliness of your own heart. But this is what God is saying. The heart is wicked. And so things have progressively gotten worse and, and as a result uh, because of the wickedness of man, because of sin and rebellion, God is going to judge. And we're going to talk about judgment more next week. Uh, but, but you see it here in verse 7. God, God's going to blot out man, he says. And this is an attribute, God's judgment, that we don't like to, to talk about a whole lot. Uh, nobody likes to talk about the judgment of God. But, but listen, God is a good, righteous judge. And he sees everything. He says, God saw the wickedness. He sees everything. He sees the intentions of your heart. And he acts in accordance with what he sees. If he didn't, then he wouldn't be a good God. 
But God knows that sin and rebellion will ultimately destroy his creation. And again, we're going to talk more about this next week, so you want to be here next week, okay? A little teaser for next week. But at the same time, I want you to see God's patience in all this. God is slow to anger and abounding in love. In verse 3, he says, he says, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be numbered 120 years. Now, this is another one of those places where a lot of commentators believe that he's, he's going to shorten the lifespan of man. Right? So, so from this point forward, man is only going to live less than 120 years. I actually think that I agree with a lot of other commentators who believe that this is how, this is God's grace. This is, this is him showing his patience towards people because Noah's still got to build the ark. It's going to be about 120 years before he builds the ark. And so this is God, his patience. Right? God could have snapped his fingers and wiped everybody out. Could he not have? And yet you see God's patience here. But, but I also want you to see the suffering of God. This is point number two, the suffering of God. In verse six, it says, The Lord God regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. That word grieved is a specific word, and, expre- and ex- it expresses the most intense form of human, human emotion. So I want you to think about this, man. When God created us, he didn't create us because he was lonely. Okay, He created us because he, he wanted to have a relationship. He chose to have a relationship with us because he, he loves us. And this shows us in this passage that God is close to us, that he is, he is not distant. He is engaged. Because when something goes wrong in his creation, when something goes wrong in our lives, He experiences suffering and pain. God voluntarily, you know what this passage is telling? God voluntarily bound his heart and life up with ours. Let let me explain it this way. When you you have kids, you, you love them and you care for them. When your kids hurt, you hurt, right? When your kids go through uh, difficult times, you are going through difficult times with them. Why? Because you bind your life up with theirs. But can we be honest for a second? Kids will hurt you. And I don't mean, I don't mean like they're going to you know, punch you in the face and hurt you. I mean, they're going to they're gonna hurt you. You guys just had a kid. God bless. They're amazing. They're beautiful. They're awesome. But I was gonna, I was gonna, hopefully, hopefully nobody who has had kids were under the delusion that your kid was going to be perfect. Okay? Hopefully nobody had that because, listen, at some point in time, your kids are going to say things or do things, it's going to cause absolute deep pain in your life. I mean, you're going to be heartbroken. But at the same time, you wouldn't trade it for the world, would you? You, you couldn't imagine life without them. When you have kids, man, they have the potential, to, uh, they have the potential of, of bringing pain into your heart that you've never experienced. And this is what's going on here. I want you to see this. God is experiencing deep pain because his children, his creation, this crown jewel of his creation that he loves is rebelling against him. They're rebelling. When we read a text like this, the question we should be asking is why? I mean, why are we even still here? God knew. God knew that this was going to happen, so why go through it? Because he loves you. 
That's how God feels about you. He loves you. Isaiah 49, 15 says, Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget. God is saying, even a nursing mom might forget about her child, but I will never forget about you. This is showing God's tender heart and affection for his people. God, listen, God chose to make himself vulnerable. God's suffering here in this passage really just points us forward to Jesus and the suffering that he's going to endure on the cross for our sins. And so here you have the wickedness of man and the judgment and suffering of God. And the situation seems hopeless, right? I mean, everybody is, is just gone. But in the midst of all this, there is a glimmer of hope. And this is point three, because we see God's grace. In verse eight, look at it with me. But, and that is a big but right there. But Noah found favor with God. That word favor there means grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Now, it's very important for us to understand that Noah did not earn God's favor or grace by any merit of his own. Noah was still a sinner. Noah's integrity could not save him. The righteousness that we see in Noah that we read in the very next verse that we'll read next week, okay, uh, is a righteousness that was declared to him by God. Write down Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. I'm going to read it for you. It says, By faith, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. See, oftentimes we read this and we think, man, Noah was a righteous man. And we, and we give all the credit to Noah. Noah, Noah. Be like Noah. Noah was a good man. Noah was a sinner just like you and me. He was declared righteous by his faith by God. And I want you to see, man, that God initiates all this. God comes for grace comes first. We tend to struggle with this because we think, we think, man, if I can get my life straight, if I can just obey God enough, then God will love me and accept me. But the good news of the gospel is, again, that I am loved and accepted, and therefore I obey. So when you begin to grasp that God loves you, that you are loved and accepted, that, that motivates our, our, our obedience is, man, I, I want to, to serve. I want to, to, to for, for him. Right? By faith points to the fact that one is dependent on God for, for what is done in faith. Right? No, Noah couldn't save himself, and neither can we. It is a total surrender to God. Here is my life, God. Here is my ego. Here is my pride. Here is my self-centeredness. Here is my desire for attention, my desire for control. I lay it all down. Living by faith means that I die to myself, and it is Christ that lives in me. Because God's grace in our lives, our lives become one big thank you to God. Right, Ephesians 2, 8, the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. You see, Noah is pointing us forward to a greater deliverer. And this is how you can know that God loves you. 
Because unlike Noah, Jesus, who is the Son of God, who came to this earth in the flesh, he lived a totally pure life. He was righteous. And even though he was God, he was utterly and totally dependent on God. You read through the Gospels and you see that Jesus submitted to the Father. In the garden, he's praying right before he goes to the cross. He says, Lord, if it be your will, take this cup from me, this cup of suffering. Not my will be done, but your will be done. You see, Jesus never put himself in a position of Saul, good, took. Never. Jesus lived the life that you and I could not live, and therefore he died the death that we should have died. All of our sin, outward sin and inward sin, all of the intentions of our heart were placed on Jesus on the cross. And the good news of the gospel is that when you come to Jesus and put your faith and trust in him, his righteousness is given to you. How beautiful is that? This is the good news of the gospel. Our relationship with God has been restored through Jesus. But not only that, man, we are given the Holy Spirit of God that lives in us, and we are given a new heart. A new heart with new desires, a new nature. We are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. And so the challenge for us today as we wrap this up is is just a couple questions I want to ask you. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to him? What area of life are you still holding on to? Where do you still want control? Where are you still trying to be your own savior Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? Have you been baptized into Christ? Are you living your life by faith? Are you growing in your faith? How do we grow in our faith? It's another good good question. You guys are doing great today, by the way. I want to show you. I want to show you this. You you don't have to turn there, but just write down Genesis chapter 4, verse 26. I think, Joe, I think Joe touched on this last week. But it says, at that time, this is, by the way, uh, no, four, did I say 426? Yeah, it's 426. So it's right before you get into Seth's genealogy, right? right? Right before he walks into that, he says, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And then you read the genealogy of Seth. And Noah, Noah, by the way, is mentioned in that genealogy, as I said earlier. And here, here's what I believe. I believe Noah was seeking. I believe Noah was seeking. Jesus tells us in the Gospels to seek, and you will find. You know why? Because God is faithful. Even when we're not faithful, God is still faithful. Right, so how, how do we seek? Again, it's all done by the grace of God. Right, we seek through prayer. Man, we, we pray, God, open my heart to see my selfish motivations. God, help me to, to just not to, to, to put my guard down and, and not to, to be so worried and concerned about what people think of me. Because, God, I know what you think of me. I know that you love me and that you accept me. We... we, we do it by being in the Word of God. Man, we stress this all the time, being in the Word of God. Get version on your phone. It's a Bible app. 
And if you are not a big reader, that's fine, man. Just read the verse of the day. That's why I tell people to do all the time. Man, just read the verse of the day and study it, meditate on it, pray through it. Start getting the Word of God into you. This is how God is going to speak to you. Seek. Right? Community. Be in community. Be in small group with each other, man. Do life together. Have people in your life that you can call on, man. People that, that speak these truths into your life. This is, this, is how, this is how you grow in your faith. Fill your mind and your thoughts with things from above. Think on these things. Things that are pure. Things that are noble. Things that are right. How do you do that, man? You do it through prayer, through the Word, through community. When you're scrolling on Facebook, this, this is what I want you to do. If you're on Facebook, if you're on social media, I want you to go and I want you to like the Desire, Desiring God page. It's John Piper, Desiring God. Write that down, like that page, and then go and find the Gospel Coalition and like that page. So that way when you're scrolling through Facebook and you see a Desiring God or a Gospel Coalition article, you click on it. And rather than scrolling through Facebook junk, you can actually read an article that's going to help you grow deeper in your faith. Right? You guys going to do it? I'm going to hold you accountable. I want to see every one of your phones, kid. But seriously, I'm, I'm being, this is how you grow deeper in your faith. Listen to me. Seek. God is faithful. God is faithful. He loves you. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for um, just your, your grace that you show us, God, your patience towards us. We thank you that, that you're patient. God, we thank you that you're faithful even when we're not. 